us this morning, leading us in worship. And uh, boy, it, what a day to celebrate, huh? I mean, it's a beautiful day outside. We get like four of these, and uh, so we need to enjoy them. Um, you know, if it's not raining, then it's it's covered in pollen. But you know, I guess that's part of it. But but we celebrate different times of the year and the seasons. And I I love springtime. It's it's that renewal of the year. It's the things blooming and blossoming. It's it's the the point where the grass is green without necessarily having to water it. Uh, and then not have to mow it so much. I mean, it's it's just wonderful time to see spring and the new life and things to come about. And as a people, we celebrate lots of things, don't we? So I want you to think for a moment with me this morning. What are some of the things that you celebrate in life uh, that, that matter to you and matter to, to your family? You can throw them out if you want. This is birthdays, okay. Birthdays is one. We celebrate until you get to a certain age and then you stop counting. Mother's Day, yeah, we celebrate Mother's Day. We, we give mom uh, an extra day to remind her how special she is to us for bringing us uh, into this world, uh, which she can also take us out to, right? So we're remembering that on Mother's Day. What else? What other things do we celebrate? Christmas, absolutely. Christmas, we have to throw in Easter there too, Resurrection Sunday as I prefer. But, uh, you know, here in a few weeks we'll, we'll, we'll remember those things. Graduations, milestones in life, you successfully completed the minimum standard for the state to get a, a, a degree, right? Sure, yeah, that's what we do. Weddings, you know, we, we like weddings. Uh, we celebrate the, the, the two coming to one, right, and something new is created, like, like, a, like a, a child coming into this world. We, I love celebrating new babies, uh, especially when they're somebody else's, and, uh, um, you know, always a good thing, but we celebrate those things, right? We have baby showers, and then we have babies first, whatever. We we remember these things and write them down in books and do all this sort of stuff. And uh, Amanda and I were going through her mother's baby book uh, whenever she was born, and and you know, her her grandmother was Polish, and so a little bit different concept there. But uh, in in this baby book, and uh, the doctor actually used to do this back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, they wrote down the first time they had castor oil. Um, uh, yeah, mackerel. It's like who remembers that sort of stuff? I'm like, oh, it's polls, I guess. I don't know. But but we we remember things, right? And and we celebrate things because they're important to us. And this morning we're going to take a break from Jeremiah for the next couple of weeks. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the feast of the Lord this morning and the the, the significance of these feasts and why they're important and why they're in the scripture and what they mean to us today. Now we're Westerners. Uh, most of us non-Jewish, and so we really don't have a firm grasp of the celebrations of the of the Old Testament, how they moved into the New Testament, and then here we are 2,000 years after Christ, what those things fully mean. I mean, even Resurrection Sunday or, or Easter kind of loses its meaning within the church sometimes because we don't understand how we got to that place. Now, no single religion especially, but no single organization can continue to thrive and exist for generation and generation and generation unless they celebrate certain milestones or certain holidays, as you will, or holy days, if you break the word apart correctly. None can successfully survive from generation to generation to generation without celebrating some of these special days and having these special occasions, these times of remembrance, these times where we think back. I mean, Thanksgiving is, is, is a uniquely American holiday. Now, don't let the Canadians fool you. This is a, a uniquely American holiday, okay? And, and what do we do at Thanksgiving? We gather the family, we eat a whole lot of food that we normally don't eat, and then we eat more of it for the next couple of days, right? 
And, and we, we have this celebration, and many of us talk about going around the table, oh, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. And it's just a celebration, and we look forward to seeing those family members uh, the next Christmas because we can't have them you know, for two holidays, right? They, they can't come home for both, and, and we, 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 we alternate and trade. But we remember these things because they're important to us. So I want to set up for you just a little bit of the stage of what's going on as we get into the Feast of the Lord, because the Lord actually prescribed seven feasts that the people of Israel were supposed to observe uh, annually over and over and over again. But, But before they got there, this is what was happening. God speaks to Abraham, and he makes a promise to him and says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he has a, a son named Isaac, and, and, and he was supposed to sacrifice his son, but, but God saw that he loved God more than his one and only son. It's wonderful wording passages that he was willing to sacrifice him, that he prepared for him a lamb instead and made a substitutional atonement. So that son Isaac lived, and he went and he had a set of twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau were like any brothers, especially those that that were twins. They fought and tried to outdo one another. And Esau, being the older of the two, was supposed to get all the birthright, and Jacob stole it from him. And his name is actually uh, mentioned as the deceiver. Uh, He'll eventually have a, a wrestling match with perhaps the Lord himself or the angel of the Lord, and he'll get his hip dislocated, but he'll get his name changed too from Jacob to Israel. And uh, in, that, in that, that changing of a name, Jacob got a new master. He was no longer master of his own life. The Lord was indeed his master. And so Israel would go, and he would have 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Egypt. All right? So that's, that's several thousand years worth of history, all summed up right there in about 90 seconds. These 12 tribes would actually have a brother that they hated named Joseph. And they hated him so much that they sold him off to slavery, and he went into Egypt. And many years later, there, there's a famine in the land, there's drought, there's things happening here, and Egypt's worried, and this slave has now become second in command of all of Egypt because of all that his father Israel had taught him and how to do, and because of his devotion to the Lord. The, the Lord used what was meant for evil for good. And so now J, uh, Joseph is running all of Egypt, and his brothers come back and reunite, and his father comes back and he meets his youngest brother, Benjamin. Now, what will happen for the next 400 years is that the Israelites will live in Egypt, and a time will come that the Exodus tells us that that the pharaohs did not know who Joseph was. They were there for so long that they were integrated as a lower standard of society, and they were slaves for the Egyptians, and they built bricks. And the Egyptians were rulers over them, so they had rescued them. Joseph had redeemed them from poverty, had rescued them, and then they stayed for way too long, and they didn't result to going back to the Lord, and now they're starting to get a little bit frustrated and restless and going, we want to get out of this place. We've been here 400 years. Now, I don't know where you've been for 400 years, but a change is good sometimes, right? Except for you recovering Baptist. Change is not a good word. But here's what's happening. The Egyptian oppressors are really putting it on the people of Israel, on God's chosen people. And they've had about enough, and they begin to moan, the scripture says, and cry out and beg for a deliverer, beg for a redeemer, beg for someone to come and purchase them out of the house of slavery, as Egypt is often called, and to rescue them from there. And, 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 and over and over and over, 
again, they cry out, and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. Then there's this guy named Moses who was spared by his sister putting him in a basket and floating him down the river full of crocodiles. Isn't that that a great big sister? And the Lord spared him and raised him up in Pharaoh's house, and one day he'll do the wrong thing. He'll kill one of those Egyptian slave drivers, and he'll run away to Midian, and he'll find this bush that's on fire but not consumed, and the bush will talk to him, and he'll say, I am. Now go back and redeem, rescue, take my people out of here. That's a weird story, isn't it? It's a great story. It's a true story. In the midst of all this moaning and crying, this is what the scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And I really want you to pay attention to this for just a moment. It says this. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Isn't that awesome? There are four promises made there, just in these two verses that we're going to explore a little bit this morning to help us understand the first feast of the Lord that that is prescribed being Passover. And and what happens in these these four verses, these four promises in these two verses, is that God is saying, listen, I hear your cries, I know you're oppressed, I know you're enslaved, I know you're powerless against them, I know you don't have your own your own country, your own nation. I told you I was going to take you there, but it's not Egypt, and you need to get out of here, and and somebody's going to have to lead you because the timing is right. And remember, God's timing is always perfect. And so as he prepares these people, he sends them Moses. Moses complains, I'm I'm not equipped to be your leader. I I don't talk well. And he says, well, I'll promote your, your brother Aaron, and he'll come and he'll help you out. And you go get all the elders, and you talk to them, and you tell them this is what's going to happen. But I also want you to go before the Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him, let my people go so that they might go out into the wilderness and worship. And the Pharaoh, it went back and forth, and we call these the ten plagues. And in these ten plagues, it went back and forth between the Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening the Pharaoh's heart. And he got to where he was more oppressive and that he was more uh, drunk on his own power, that he was not going to be told by a a singular God when he worshipped many different gods what he could and could not do in his own country, in his own land, in his own house, with his own people, his slaves. And he wasn't going to have it. And this whole thing plays out where God puts these plagues. And we're talking terrible things. Water turns to blood. Flies. Frogs, you know, I mean, in the in the, the cartoon version, they're falling from the sky. I mean, they're, they're, they're everywhere. Locusts, hail, uh, darkness. I mean, just crazy stuff that's out there. And, I mean, just, just destroying crops, destroying animals, destroying everything. And finally, we get to the tenth plague, and it's the death of the firstborn child. And this is where the Lord says, part of my plan to redeem you is going to require you to do something different than you've ever done before. But I want you to listen to me, and I want you to obey me. I will rescue you from out from under this household of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, out of the bondage of this slavery. I want to show you how I'm going to redeem you from that. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read them for you. You're welcome to turn there if you like. But in Exodus chapter 12, he kind of lays out what this plan is for what he will call the Passover. And it's the, the, the tenth plague that's going to strike Egypt. 
And it says this in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year for you. God said, my plan is going to be so big and so amazing, I'm going to change your calendar. I'm going to change the way that you count time, and you're going to start with how I rescued you. That's something to remember, isn't it? And so every New Year's, every Nissan 1, as it is, you're going to get a new year, and this will be the first year for you. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Verse 3, tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the numbers of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. That sounds good already, right? But roasted on the fire. Its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. Waste not want not, right? In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this is important. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This day was going to be so important to the people that God said, I'm going to change your calendar. And on the 10th day of that new month, I want you to gather this lamb. Now, this is really fascinating to me because this lamb was to be a male, a year old, perfect, without blemish, no spots, no cuts, no broken legs. So that means that from the 10th to the 14th, you've got to take good care of this thing. Because if you sacrifice this lamb and cook him for your family to eat, and he's got a broken leg or a cut or a blemish or whatever, it's not an acceptable sacrifice. I want a good, whole, and perfect sacrifice, which means you're going to have to take care of this little lamb, which means you're going to have to get familiar with it, which means you're going to have to know it and watch it and take care of it and, and, and clean up after it and pamper this lamb for the next four days, and then you're going to have to kill it. See, that, that makes the sacrifice of this lamb very personal. It's not just something you go and take out of, the, out, of, out of the herds of many. You select one, you care for it, you keep it, you protect it for such a time that you can purposely end its life. That sure sounds like Jesus to me. That sure sounds like a, a personal Jesus that we get to know who would willingly go to the cross for each and every one of us, whose sacrifice would be made 
not an impersonal God that we can't know or that we're far from, but one that, that wants to be invited in, that wants to be cared for, that wants to be familiar. And he says, you should take this lamb and you should slaughter it and you should cook it. You should cook it a certain way. There's a, there's a, a, a certain order of worship. You should do things a certain way. And you should take the blood of that animal with the hyssop and you should put it on the, the doorpost, the sides, and on the lintels on the top. And it's a beautiful picture of the crown of thorns and the nails in the hands of Christ and the blood running down the door is the cross. It's the cross that one day is going to be the picture of the one and perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here is God showing the Egyptians now, or showing the, the Egyptians that He's a God in Israel, and the Israelites. Here's what you've got to do: you you don't even have to make that much of a personal sacrifice. Just go and get a lamb and kill the thing. It's not going to cost you a whole lot, if anything at all, because there's lots of lambs all over the place. And you're going to worship where you are because I'm everywhere. But you got to do it a certain way, and I want you to do it in a hurry. I want you to do it with your shoes on. I want you to do it with your belt fastened around. I want you to do it with, with, with your staff. Because what's going to happen is at twilight, at, at nighttime, the angel of death, and the scripture goes on to tell us that there were cries and screams that mothers would go and see their firstborn dead throughout all the house of Egypt. But what an interesting thing he would also say is to consume the entire animal. Isn't that interesting? And the reason why he did so is he said, because I've got you dressed to leave. I've got you dressed to get out of here. But you're going to need strength. And you're going to need to feast upon the sacrifice that's been made for you so that you have the strength to endure what awaits you in freedom, what awaits for you outside of the household of, of Egypt, outside of the house of slavery. And so when you make this sacrifice, know that this sacrifice is being made in such a way, not just symbolically, but physically to feed you, to give you the energy and strength that you need. That's why we need to get to know Jesus. We need to feast on the Lord and see that he is good. We need to get into his word that provides us all the nourishment and all the, all the energy that we need to take on a world out there that is not designed to follow God. We can't do that on our own, and we don't have to go and create something new because a genuine sacrifice has been made for us that we're allowed to feast at the master's table. That's good news. And the Jews missed it. They missed it. They did not see that whole portion that, that God was setting them up, that he was showing them what was going to happen. But, but God reminds him in verse 14 that this shall be a memorial day for you, and you shall keep a feast of the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever and ever. Now, listen, the word feast, when you translate it back from, from Hebrew back towards the English, the word feast basically means appointed time. And he says, you shall keep an appointed time as a memorial of how I rescued you out of slavery. You shall keep an appointed time every year, a chance to stop everything and remember my love for you when I heard your moaning and I made four promises to you that I would redeem you, that I would deliver you, that I would rescue you, that, that I would be your God and you would be my people. You should remember this annually because you cannot pass the good news from generation to generation to generation unless you stop and annually renew that. How many of you men have ever forgotten your anniversary? Just one. I mean, not a hand raised. Could you imagine 
not remembering that day? Could, could you? Yeah, I that. <laughs> Maybe it's a thousand post-it notes. I don't know. Now, I, I'll ask you, how many of you know how many years you've been married? I, I have to tell you, I cheat. She's not in here. I can say it all out loud. In my house, when you walk in, there are crosses hanging on the wall. And I know that for every one of those crosses, that's the number of years that I've been married. Never that I'm married that long. I'm not good with those numbers. But could you just imagine the heartbreak to forget that important date? Now, I know some of you are parents. Some of you have a couple of kids. Some of you've got a couple more kids. You ever forget when your kid's birthday is? Appreciate the honesty. I won't say which kid it was. It didn't make you feel real good, but boy, from your kid's point of view, wow. God said, listen, this is so important because for 400 years he's been enslaved. And I'm telling you that today is the day that I am going to change everything. And I want you to remember it because the reason you need to remember it is because I'm just getting started with what I'm going to do. And so what would happen is they would walk out into the wilderness and they would celebrate the Passover a year later as they were supposed to do so. Then they would wander around in the wilderness for 40 more years. Then they would go and they would get to the promised land. They'd wander around again for another 40 and, and that wasn't good for them. And then Joshua would actually bring back the Passover when he walked back into the land. And in Joshua's time, the Passover was not celebrated very often. In fact, uh, we don't know that Saul ever celebrated it in the first king of Israel. We're not sure David ever actually celebrated the second king of Israel. And we're pretty sure Solomon did not celebrate it, the third king of Israel, before the kingdoms divided. It'll be until Hezekiah's day down the road. And then Josiah, the last good king of Judah, would finally, finally get this, almost 750 years later, would celebrate the Passover, remembering the time that God took them out of the house of Egypt and out from slavery, which ironically was exactly what they were doing, as we spoke about in Jeremiah, is they were going back to the house of Egypt and asking them to rescue them. Hey, I know you used to be our rulers and our commanders and our slave drivers. Now we're starving, don't have any water. I think we want to just bypass God who took us away from you and come back to you. I don't know about you, but it, there's something psychologically wrong with somebody who goes back to their abuser. There's something wrong. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's a terrible tragedy. But I want you to listen to this, is that because they didn't celebrate it year after year after year after year, when they got themselves in a bind, they ran back to their own human devices, and they ran back to what they thought was safety, when really all it was was another trap designed to lure them in and enslave them once again. And why do we long to have someone rule over us that way? I can't, I can't fully answer that. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I do want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, what we see are the elements of the seven feasts uh, that are prescribed there. And, and interestingly enough, the first couple of verses of Leviticus actually tell us that the first thing that we ought to remember is the Sabbath each and every week. That God said it's so important that not only that you rest because you're following my model. I created in six days and I took the seventh day to rest and enjoy my creation. But also let your animals have a rest too. Because they're going to have to work hard and you want those animals to live a little bit longer. And then when you get into verse 4, you see the, the first of, of the feast that he talked about, and that's the Passover. Now, the context of Leviticus is that Moses and, 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 and the, the you know, couple million of his closest friends are wandering around in the desert. 
and he is spending time with the Lord, and the Lord dictates the law to him, and he says, okay, Moses, listen, um, there are seven times I want you to stop everything, and I want you to have an appointed time of feast to remember what I've done for you. And by the way, three of those times are going to be considered a pilgrimage feast. And those feasts are, are going to take you to an appointed place this time, but he'll eventually say Jerusalem, where all these Jewish people need to get to Jerusalem to celebrate these three feasts, two of them in the spring and one of them in the fall. Now, it, try to remember that because it's really important what God's doing here. Because remember, after 400 years, he takes them out and he says, remember this day. Now he's got them wandering around and he goes, hey, I'm going to give you seven days to remember. And he says this in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 through 8. He says, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day the month of the month, at twilight, the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month, the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. And for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, this is, this is why I want you to see this for just a moment and understand kind of what's happening here. I told you that God set up a new calendar. So the, the Jews actually have kind of two calendars. They have a, 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 a lunar calendar and a festal calendar. And I won't get too deep into that. But, the, but they don't coincide. And their months, they have 12 months that consist of 29 to 30 days each, which only gives them 356 days in a year. And so they actually get a leap month every four years to make up those extra days. And in that leap month, they do different things. But, but the purpose for this is, is that of the seven feasts that God prescribed, four of them are in the spring and three of them are in the fall. And, and you want a spring feast to always fall in the spring, right? And so that's why you get this leap month that comes in to keep the calendar straight. Now, in our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, we follow a, a solar calendar, which is 365 and a quarter days, which means that every fourth year we get a leap day on February 29th. And, and so what that does is it helps keep our falls and springs and winters and all those things in the right time frame, right? And so we're not celebrating Christmas in, in, in August. Uh, now, I know the Australians have this all messed up. I'm so sorry about that, but... But, but, you know, we're not celebrating things in August this year, a little bit later on, it's in March and whatever. It's always consistently in those times, right? And so when he gave them the Passover as, as, as one of those, he also gave them unleavened bread. And so of the three pilgrimage feasts, unleavened bread is one of those. Pentecost is going to be the other one. And then one in the fall called the, the, the Feast of Booths. This is why this is important. And I'll show you this. This is, this is the new calendar up here. I want you to see... That, that what we may know. So the first month of the Jewish calendar is called Nisan. And so on the 14th day of the first month, you shall celebrate the Passover. You shall kill a lamb. You shall eat all of it. You should do it a certain way. You should wear the clothes right. Your feet will take. You should do all these things and follow this instruction to the letter in remembrance to this as a memorial for how I rescued you out of there, right? And, and what this was for for the, for the Jews on the top was the, was the Passover signified the Lamb of God, and it spoke about the redemption. And God was saying that I will redeem you. Now, to redeem means that I'm going to purchase you for a price. I'm going to buy you out of the hand of slavery. And so I'm going to go to your master, and I'm going to purchase you for a price. Now, for the Jews, that price was the, the blood of a lamb. 
For the Egyptians, it was the blood of the firstborn child. This is significant because you see how it could have gone differently. And, and so they would celebrate and still celebrate by having a lamb and what we would call the Seder meal today. And they would sit out on the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan, and they would have a Seder meal. Now, for us, that essentially looks like Good Friday. Now, it doesn't always fall on April the 15th. In fact, the two dates don't always line up with our calendar and the Jewish calendar. Sometimes they're way off. But for our purposes, this year, Good Friday is going to fall on, on the 15th of April. And for Christians, we're going to see this not as a sacrifice of a lamb, but a sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to see that that sacrifice was made on our behalf and that it cost him everything for us. And so Passover is the longest celebrated holiday in all of humanity. For more than 3,500 years, the Passover has been, has been observed on some level. No other holiday in any other major religion or anything else is observed. Now think about this. You're probably thinking, what about Christmas? Jesus, that was 2,000 years ago. Right? So you're 1,500 years short. But Passover, we know, has been celebrated and remembered at least 3,500 years. God knew what he was doing, and he was setting us up to see his power, to see that he is going to make good on the four promises that he made. And he did it by having one of those, those, those feasts where everybody had to come to Jerusalem, which would be unleavened bread, which, by the way, would start on the 15th of Nisan. And you don't travel on holy days. And so you get yourself to Jerusalem, and you, you celebrate the Passover, just like Jesus did in the upper room with his disciples. And the next day will be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Unleavened Bread we're going to talk about next week. And then after a week of that, we're going to have a holy convocation where no work gets done. And a holy convocation is nothing less than let's get together and celebrate the one true God who loves us and redeemed us and rescued us and is our deliverer. And let's, let's worship him. And in the sacrificial system, that meant a lot of bulls and a lot of rams and a lot of blood. But let's worship him and do these things. And then what's going to happen the next week is the harvest of first fruits, which happens to be the day that Jesus resurrects the first fruit of all humanity. Do you see that for 3,500 years, God was showing the Jews and the rest of the world that I made a plan for this a long, long time ago? Because I made you four promises when I heard you cry out to me. And you said that we're burdened, we're enslaved, we're trapped. We need a redeemer, we need a deliverer, we need to be rescued. God, how much longer are your people going to have to bear the burden of what the Egyptians are doing to us? We're the promised people. We're yours, aren't we? And so that's where we get to the celebration of Passover. And first I want to show you what, what Christ went through in the upper room, that Passover dinner. When he's sitting with the boys in the upper room and he's imparting his last words of wisdom to them that, by the way, they're still not getting. I mean, I think you guys are slow learners. Three years they walked with him every day and they still didn't get it. Three years. At a Passover meal or the Seder, as we would call it, there are four cups of wine that are, that are consumed during this. And each of those cups is a different part of the Seder meal. And, and this is what it looks like here. It is, is the cup of rescue, 
the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of acceptance. These are the same four promises that were made in Exodus chapter 6 when he says, I will redeem you, I will rescue you, I will deliver you, I, 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 will, I will give redemption to the people there, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And the first glass of wine, when it's consumed, uh, Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 22, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. And this was the cup of rescue, signifying the new covenant in his blood. I will rescue you with the blood of the lamb. I will rescue you with the blood of the spotless, perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I will rescue you with the blood of my one and only son. And they would drink this cup, probably remembering the first Passover from thousands of years ago, and not seeing that Jesus is about to go to the garden, get arrested, get beaten, and nailed to the cross in less than 24 hours. Now, Good Friday for us is the whole day of Friday. For them, it was probably Thursday night, the way it lines up with our calendar. And so at twilight, it would turn into Friday, which would be the, 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 the 14th, the Passover day, and they would enjoy that together. And so Jesus takes that cup and he says, divide it amongst yourselves. And what he's saying is that I am giving you my blood, which is the, the blood of rescue for each and every one of you, if you will take it. That's the invitation, isn't it? It's already been done. There's nothing more that you have to do, and really there's nothing you can do, but receive the cup of rescue from the only one, the only one worthy and capable of rescuing you. That was good news for the Jews, and 3,500 years later, that's good news for us because it's been done. The next cup that he, was, he would give would be the cup of deliverance. And in this cup of deliverance, they would sit around and they would break uh, one of the, the, the breads that were around. They would pass around and they would sing what's called a Hallel, which is Psalms 115 through 118. And I, I, I encourage you, go read those Psalms. They are beautiful in the context of understanding that God is our deliverer, that he has done so much. And they would sing this song together because they were no longer slaves in Egypt. They were now living in Jerusalem under the Romans' rule. And they're asking yet again for another rescuer, another deliverer, another someone. And Jesus is saying, I did not come to set up my kingdom just so that you can all be elevated because of our ethnic uh, uh, similarities. I have come to give freedom to everybody and not just to give life, but to give life more abundant. And so not only am I going to rescue you from the things of this world, and I may not decide to do that, but I will rescue you from the bondage of sin that keeps dragging you down and is trying to kill you. Man, that's good, isn't it? And I've been setting you up for 3,500 years to tell you that on this Memorial Day, you look back and see how good I am and the sacrifice that was made and that I am your deliverer. And they would drink that cup of wine and they would toast the Lord's deliverance of them, how he rescued them out of Egypt. And then they would get to the third cup, the cup of redemption. Before that, they would sing a psalm. Psalm 116, 8, 9 says this, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Man, that's deliverance right there. That's not just alive, that's thriving. That's, that's not just survival, that's revival there. We, we, we're watching some of these things go on in the other part of the world, and we're seeing these people that are, that are and I, man, I'm so impressed by the Ukrainians. They get to Poland, and they're saying, no, 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 we don't want a free ride, we want to work. We, we, we want to we have value in our lives.
engaged in what we're doing, and we want to be able to, to help send help back to our people so that they might be, I don't know, rescued and redeemed and delivered from oppression and evil. If you don't see parallels in that, man, I sure do. And they would sit down for the third cup that was there, and it's the cup of redemption. And Jesus would say this to his people, and likewise, Luke 22, 20, he says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. They would spend time actually pouring the cup out, saying the new covenant in my blood spills out of this world, and this is a covenant of redemption that's made. And in the Seder meal, they'll sit around, they'll eat the bitter herbs, and they'll drink these toasts, and questions will be asked. One of the questions will be, what's so different about this night? And they'll say, this is the night that the Lord passed over those. And he saw the blood on the door that, that, that looked like the cross of Jesus standing there and the crown of thorns. What's so special about this night? This was the night, the 14th night of Nisan, the first month of the new calendar that God gave us. This was the night that we were, we were redeemed, and we were delivered, and we were rescued. passage will go on to say that Jesus Jesus will turn to Judas and he'll say, what you're about to do, go and do it quickly. Now, I'm comforted by, I believe it's Luke's gospel that says, and Satan entered him and he went and did that because surely the fool didn't do it on his own. But he went and he betrayed our Lord and Savior, our Passover lamb for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus says, you know what, this day is heavy for me. But there's still more because I told you there were four promises that were made that day. And the cup of acceptance is the last of the four cups that's passed around the Seder meal that celebrates the Passover. And Matthew 26 says this, Jesus saying, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is what's so significant about this Passover with Jesus is that he said, I will drink three of the four cups. And he says, I will be your rescuer. I will be your deliverer. I will be your redeemer. But I'm going to go away before I drink the cup of acceptance. Because the fourth promise made in Exodus chapter 6 is, is that I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will gather you all to myself. And Jesus says, the place that I go, you cannot go now. But do not worry, my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare one for you. And when he comes back, he's going to drink that fourth cup. And he's going to drink the cup of acceptance. And he's going to draw anybody who believes in him, the perfect spotless lamb of God, to himself. And he will accept them into his kingdom. And he will be their God. And they will be his people. 3,500 years, God was setting us up for the promises that he made for our redemption and our salvation and our eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's a dude that keeps his promises. That's a God worthy of worship and being followed. And that absolutely is a God who loves each and every one of us so much that he has tarried, that he has waited, that he has paused coming back to drink the fourth cup. There is grace in that for every person who is yet to receive the Passover lamb, yet to feast on the Lord and see that he is good, yet to be covered and washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus. Until he comes back with that fourth cup, there is still grace and opportunity. 
some of the Mishnah and other rabbinical teachings tell us that not everybody in Israel that night put the blood over the doorpost. Not everybody recognized that this is what God was doing, and it says that they suffered too. Just imagine knowing the invitation is out there and that it's in front of us. Just imagine knowing that, that, that when we look at the lamb and think that it's just a meal and just a celebration, it was so much more. It was the promise of what God was going to do for generation to generation. And that it was to be taught and reminded so that hope would always be passed out to the next generation. That it would be taught to say that the Lord is good, that he loves us, that he is in fact our rescuer, our deliverer, our redeemer, and our affirmer. Man, that's good, isn't it? And so this morning I want to leave you with this, this word to just think about. Our redemption that we celebrate the Passover, our redemption is made possible through the blood of the Passover lamb, who is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Get rid of the sin. And once the sin is gone, what's left? All the good stuff. Get rid of the, 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 the leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Many years ago, in the early 1900s, there was a, uh, the way trains would operate, there was a drawbridge over most rivers, and the bridge would have to go up so that the boats could pass through. And, and trains were on a specific time schedule. You always knew when they were running. And one Saturday, the, the drawbridge operator was there with his, his young son, and he was sitting by the river, and they opened up the drawbridge, and it was up so boats could pass through. And all of a sudden, in the distance, he hears the, the, the horns of the train, the steam whistles blowing from the train. He looks at his watch, and he realizes it's 1.07, and at 1.10, that train is going to be coming through this bridge, and I need to close that drawbridge. And so he hurries up. He'd lost track of time. He was spending time with his son. He was enjoying the Saturday with him. His boy had gone to work with him. And he loses track of time, and he goes running up the steps, and he gets up there so that he can pull the lever to close the drawbridge, and he notices that his son has fallen down, and now he's trapped in the gears that are going to close that. And for a moment, he sits there, and he ponders, do I get down there and rescue my son, or do I let the 400 people on the train die? Because they're going to come to an open drawbridge and they're going to crash and pretty much every one of them are going to die. Not knowing exactly what to do or how to do it, he closed his eyes, he looked down, he looked the other way, and he pulled the lever and he closed the drawbridge, sacrificing his only son. And as he sat there weeping, as he sat there contemplating the decision he just made, he watched the train drive by with 400 people on there and not a one of them looked. Not a one of them. And his only thoughts were, do you see that I gave so much of my one and only son to rescue you, and you didn't even know it? This is what we miss when we just celebrate the Passover as just another holiday. When we need to look at the Passover and say, God, you have an amazing plan to fulfill your promises, to deliver us, to rescue us, to redeem us, to purchase us out of slavery of sin and death. You say that one day that I will be your people and you'll be my people. Man, it's more than just a lamb, isn't it? That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and this morning we're going to do so. And I want to encourage.